Who is this uh, Erling King and his creepy daughters? We don't know for sure. They might be creatures out of Northern mythology or some Celtic lore, or they simply stepped out of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's nightmares. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie that at least one of us hasn't ever seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 75. We're in week three of Cagepalooza 2020, and joining me to watch Pay the Ghost from Run Jump Stomp is Bill. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, Pay the Ghost from 2015 uh, was a Nick Cage movie I hadn't even heard of before when you suggested that that should be what we watched this week. Yeah, um, me either. So, all right, let's uh, let's see. It basically runs uh, plot rundown is he is a professor, right? Or he's he's just gained tenure, I think, actually the day of, which talk about a day to gain tenure on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he. Comes home, takes his son to a uh, Halloween carnival. Looks like it's right around the corner from their house, but loses his son. His son disappears. Uh, And we pick up a year later as he's trying to find out what happened to his son. He's estranged from his wife. That's kind of the basic rundown, but it turns into some rather supernatural stuff. Now, first of all, no no restraint on spoilers. The movie's been out for five years, so... Um, Things get a little weird. He starts hearing and seeing his son in places. His wife is seeing that. And some very strange things happen to them. Um, overall, what did you think of it as a movie? All right. So I, I feel like I should have warned you when you asked me to come on the show that I like all movies. <laughs> like I can find like almost every movie that I've ever seen. I've usually been like, yeah, that was pretty good. I enjoyed myself. There's very, very few times that I've watched a movie and been like, oh my God, my life is worse for having watched it. Uh, so inexplicably, I enjoyed this movie, though I know that it is, uh, it, it, it was kind of critically panned. Like most people said it was an abomination. I enjoyed it, but I like everything. <laughs> so first of all, I think you and I can be friends then because I'm the same way. Like I, right. 99% of movies I can find, I, I can think of one movie I've watched in the last five years where I was like, I never want to ever see that again. And that was Doom Annihilation because it was okay. just boring. Like, I mean, <laughs> how do you make a movie based on the game Doom boring? I don't know, but they managed to do it. But I'm the same way. I find I usually find something I like. And, and overall, like, I enjoyed my time with this. Now, it's short. It's only an hour and a half long. So that, that helps a lot when you have a movie mm-hmm. that isn't overly long and for the most part, in terms of horror movies anyway, sticks to its internal logic um, as much as any horror movie is going to. And that's like a big sticking point for me is how much do the rules that you're trying to set up in your movie follow through? And I think overall this one does. It doesn't go too far outside of that. I have I have nitpicks. I have things that I think are kind of silly or dumb. But again, mm-hmm. I didn't like I would watch this again with some friends. Um, I don't know that I would seek it. I wouldn't have sought it out had it not had Nicolas Cage in it, I will say that. 
But. Yeah, I, I can I can 100% agree with that. Nicolas Cage is one of those actors, and maybe that's why you have the Cage of Palooza. Um, he has he. You know what? I think he suffers from the same thing that we do, where he likes every script he sees. Oh, I'm sure. Every single like every single script. It seems like he doesn't. There's nothing that comes across his desk that he doesn't say. Yeah, yeah, I can do that one. I could. That sounds great. Let's well, make Ghost Rider. Let's make the, you know this and that. Let Let's go ahead and make all of these movies. Uh, sure. So I, <laughs> I was expecting this movie to be a dumpster fire, and I was pleasantly surprised when it turned out it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was a very middle of the road kind of paranormal uh, thriller horror movie, right? It was like um, mm-hmm. it's like Insidious Light, sort of, or. Uh, Something along like it was you could tell that it was kind of trying to be something like that with the the styling of it. It just didn't quite for me it didn't have a lot of scares, but it felt like it was trying to build tension, which I always appreciate. I actually like a lot of horror movies that don't have um, necessarily a ton of gore in them, which this doesn't have. And I appreciate that because mm-hmm. give me tension, give me suspense, build that. And then give me a scare that kind of releases that and and start ratcheting the tension back up. That was one of the things um, when we covered Alien last year. That was one of the things I loved about that movie was it's just this constant tension build and then a release. This movie had some of that. It just it felt like it needed more like it needed more of a budget, I think, is what it needed. Um, I don't know. Like, let's say that they had more money. What do you think that they could have spent the money on? Because I felt like. The effects were fine. That didn't bother me. Um, I don't think that it ended too quickly. I don't think it overstayed its welcome. What would you have done to to give it more, giving it more budget? What would you have done differently? I think maybe with more budget, you could stretch out to a hour forty five to two hours and just give me a little more background. Um, it felt like it was sort of it got hand wavy at parts where it's like, well, this woman got suspected of black magic and then she laid a curse well was she actually a witch or not oh yeah okay and and some of that like and one of my favorite parts is that kind of subway station underground place that he finds he finds it early on in the movie with where pay the ghost is written on the wall and he goes down there and it's all those homeless people when they come when he comes back to that later it's very like tonally it's so different i i want more of that because they have this great line in there where the one guy says oh it's halloween all the ghosts are out okay so are all those homeless people ghosts because if they are that's really cool i want to know more about that like it felt i just i it left me like wanting more now maybe in some ways that's a good thing because it may, it could drum up the ability to make another one of these but i just i don't know i felt like like there were bits missing, I guess. Yeah, I, I and and with as far as like a potential sequel, while I doubt it will get a sequel because yeah. it's you know it wasn't super popular or anything. Most people have never heard of it. When I suggested it to you, it was because I was like, okay, what Nick Cage movies can I find? I've never heard of this one. Let's go ahead and do that. I didn't even know it was a horror movie when I picked it. I just said, "Oh, look! It's a it's a Nick Cage movie that I've never heard of. Let's go with that." So I sent it to you. So when my wife and I sat down, we were like, "Oh, this is kind of there's a little spookiness to it." Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> and then it turned out to be a horror movie, and that's and, and I, I also have to say, I am a, again a hundred percent with you. 
I like horror movies that are scary, that are not gross. I don't like gross. I love to be scared, though. And I felt like this one did some some good stuff with that. There were a couple times where I felt the goosebumps on my arm. Oh, sure. Oh, when he walks into the room and um, Kristen, his wife, is sitting on the bed. Now, it's got the jump scare of her turning really fast. Yeah. But the moment after that where she's where he comes around to her and she's digging on her arm with that pair of scissors. And then mm-hmm. when she comes out of that and realizes like has no memory of it, that kind of stuff is really scary. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff where you, you have no control. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Look, gore in a, in a horror film, if it's used well, I have no problem with, but if you give me a horror film, that's all suspense and tension versus a, a gore fest, I'm going to go the suspense and tension every time because yeah, that's just going to scare me more. Um, you know, I, this was not rated and it got like a really limited theatrical release. It probably never went in front of the MPAA, but this would have been a PG 13 movie easy. I mean, it has mm-hmm. one F bomb and almost zero blood. In fact, the only blood that really is in the entire movie shouldn't even be there logically. And that's when the guy is doing the autopsy on the, um, the psychic medium and he cuts into her well, and, some and blood when seeps she was out. cutting her arm. And uh, yeah, I guess her arm too. You're right. I just mentioned that, didn't I? But even the <laughs> even the shot with her where her inside the they pull back the sheet on the psychic medium and her insides are all burned up. Like that's not overly gory yeah. because it just it, well no that that just looked like somebody had come along with like a paintbrush and <laughs> just darkened the skin almost. And it wasn't like oh they did a bad job on that. Mm-hmm. It was just like oh okay that's really strange the way that she was uh, cooked like. My my brain went to if that had actually happened, like would somebody look like that from like being cooked from the inside out? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, kind of the thing I was talking about where like I want to know more about it. So they that happens to the psychic medium, and there's the scene with uh, Nick Cage, and the only other actor of any note in this that I could find was Stephen McCaddy who plays the blind uh, homeless man with the dreadlocks. I only know that was him because when I was younger, I kept conflating him and Lance Henriksen. And I could never remember who who was what in what movies because they both have a really <laughs> similar looking face. So I'd be like, okay, I know Lance Henriksen was in Aliens, but was it Stephen McCaddy that was in Millennium? Like I could, I always, so I made it a point to like distinguish the two of them. So he shows up in this and there's that scene where you hear the wailing of the ghost and he, he yells, you know, cover the fires because she doesn't like the fire like that's great Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff i want more of i want more of that backstory of who she who this lady was 300 something years ago and what happened to her and why why or how she got this supernatural power that she now has i I also i like the idea that you're talking about where he where you know she screams and he says cover the fires because she doesn't like the fire and at the time, my brain didn't say, oh, I wonder why she doesn't like the fire. But obviously, now we know mm-hmm. why she doesn't like the fire at the end of the movie. Do you think that if they had added in that extra exposition, that that reveal of, you know, when when her and her kids get burned at the stake, do you think that that would have taken that take, taken away from that moment of, oh, that's why? You know, it might have, and so you're probably right there, because that was a great, like, you're right, it's that hindsight of, oh, okay, now I know why they're covering the fires earlier in the movie. I guess, 
I just want kind of like, I want more things like that to happen because it felt yeah. like there were stretches of time where it was just weird stuff's going to happen, but we have no real, like, there's no reasoning for, um, for instance, the, the character of Hannah, who's in the movie for all of three scenes, she's, uh, she, she's his, 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 his other teaching friend, right? Yes. His colleague at the, okay. at the, at the, um, college. She she's in the beginning of the movie, and my first thought was, oh, something's gonna be like between him and her at some point. They're gonna have some kind of a reveal mm-hmm. of that based on the fact that we're a year later and he's estranged from his wife. That didn't play out, so they didn't go that trope. But then the next she, scene she's in, they're researching documents, and she says, "Well, this document doesn't have that information, but I'll check the archives tonight." And I was like, "Well, she's dead. <laughs> You're not making it to the end of the movie." And that was the kind of stuff like, okay, why did the ghost go after her? Why did the ghost kill the psychic medium? If if it was trying to protect what it did, why didn't it just take out the parents type of thing? Like that kind of thing is where I say the, the sort of internal logic of the movie didn't match up with what I was seeing. But it's all in hindsight, right? Like in the moment, they're really interesting scenes. And then as I think about it more after I watch it, I'm like, well – if it wasn't for the fact that this was a horror movie, would that would Hannah have died? Because she wasn't really involved at all, except for looking up this information and making a single phone call. So right. it's like that kind of stuff. That's that's the kind of stuff that my brain goes to after the fact as I try to like make sense of what I just watched. But I don't know. I mean, overall, like it set up some pretty good stuff. They the um there's a moment early in the movie with Charlie where he's riding his scooter around. And yeah, in the house. Yeah, and it's shot very much like the um, big wheel scene in The Shining, right? Very. Mm-hmm. You get some of those, and then they pay that off later with the scooter going on its own through the house, which was a big nope from me. Like, uh-uh, I'm out of that house <laughs> yeah. at that point. Exactly. In fact, just talking about it, I got a little bit of goosebumps <laughs> just talking about it. Like, uh, scary movies scare the hell out of me, and I, I like it, uh, but I don't often watch them. Uh, you, you mentioned something, you know, we were just talking about, you know, the fire and, 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 you know, paying that off. Let me ask you a question just because I have kind of a goldfish memory. And so I forget about things. Sure. Does Nick Cage see a vision of her being burned at the stake or is that something only the audience gets to see? I can't remember. Oh, I think that was just the audience seeing that. <clears throat> well, but when he crosses the bridge, which is a whole other thing we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, yeah. When he crosses the bridge and he walks up to the the first person that he sees and kind of touches her, I think he then sees it then. But we, we as an okay. audience had seen it once before that. So what I wish that they had done is, so let, let's, let's use another uh, very interesting movie uh, as an example. And uh, that is The Sixth Sense sixth sense okay mm-hmm. uh the moment when the revelation happens i believe if i remember correctly they kind of flash back to all of these points throughout the movie and then they and then they to, to kind of remind the audience of this 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 and this yeah and i felt like that would have been a good moment to show us like nick cage remembering oh yeah she doesn't like the fire like because i didn't think about it until you said it 
And and then when you said it, I was like, oh, that's right. I remember that now. And that would have been a really good thing for them to do. Just, just a quick flashback sequence. Once he sees this of his brain connecting the dots, I think that that would have been really cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I going to agree with you there. And that's the kind of thing where if they'd gone even just 10 minutes longer and kind of tie those things up. But, it, but so much of what we learned about her was just a flashback that I think was just sort of spoken to, you know, our characters. So I don't know, but that would have been a nice, a nice way to put a bow on everything and, and bring that all back because I think overall the, my, my complaint about the movie isn't so much that it's a bad movie cause it's not bad. I wouldn't call it good either. It's just kind of middle of the road. And those are the, the small tweaks that could make it, you know, enjoyable and, and rewatchable. Um, mm-hmm kind of like explain okay all these homeless people because the first time he goes okay the the homeless people part I'll, I'll go back to that but the first time he goes down there they're all just milling about they don't really pay a ton of attention to him one guy talks to him it's the blind one and he's acting as though they don't know anything but when mm-hmm. he comes back suddenly this guy has all the answers and he's almost the blind ferryman to the to the world of the dead is sort mm-hmm. of how i viewed him and it's like okay i can i can get behind like the having the pretense of we don't know anything in the beginning and now I do know everything here, but just give me some more of that. Give me some more information there, I guess. Yeah. To, to guess, sort of yeah. bridge the gap. Cause I thought that was a mm-hmm. cool concept of these, you know, is that just in this one place in New York or is it all over New York that all these homeless people are ghosts? Cause uh, like that got my brain turning like, Oh, I just, I want to know, I want to hear more about this. I want to see that more. Mm. Even with Stephen McCaddy's horrible, wig that he was wearing that dreadlock wig yeah, that was on. that was pretty bad like i looked at it and i was like that doesn't look right <laughs> okay no. increase the budget get him a new wig or why does he have to have dreadlocks <laughs> yeah i know i i i'm not sure about that um but i think Put a oh, on the guy and call it a day yeah really i mean he's already grizzled looking enough as it is if you've ever seen <laughs> pictures of stephen mccaddy he's he's got uh a very weathered look to him. So you don't need to put dreadlocks on him to make him look homeless. Mm-hmm. But although I, just, just to re, re, reiterate, um, you said the only other actor of note was him. Uh, the wife, my, my wife and I were like, who the hell is this lady? I recognize her. She's from the walking dead. Uh, uh, and there was something else that she was in too. My wife looked it up. I can't remember what it was now, but, but she was, she was the, she played Lori Grimes in the walking dead, which is why I, Okay, and that would be why I wouldn't have recognized her because I haven't really watched The Walking Dead much. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, but here's, I should have recognized her as uh, she has a small part in Letterkenny. I don't know if you've ever seen that. but um, I love Letterkenny. Who who the hell is in Letterkenny? She's Anita Dick. I don't remember that, but now I'm going to have to. Yeah, she's the Mennonite. Oh, the Mennonite. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Such a great show. And now now that I'm reading that, I see it. So... Uh, but you know, and I think another thing that could have benefited this movie and give it something that makes it stand out because, okay, so we're not going to have a bunch of gross out. Fine. I'm good with that. Um, the tension is decent. The jump scares were, there weren't a ton of them. There were a few. Um, and overall I thought they were okay. Like they could have done without the musical kind of sting when they reveal the burnt insides that one felt like it was a jump scare for the sake of like, we just need something here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got Nicolas Cage. 
get him to do a Nick Cage freakout somewhere in the movie. He's searching for his <laughs> lost son. We need that moment. He's almost autopilot throughout the movie, which mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting at all. Um, I didn't know that this was a horror movie necessarily, but I just kept ex- I kept waiting for that moment where he just goes full Nick Cage, and he never really did. I get that. I feel like that it's possible that that's just a choice that um, the the dad had become on autopilot like he like that was his i'm just gonna shut down now now that i can't find my kid it's been a year uh i'm i'm i've shut down i can't he can't process what's happening to him um but it like it would have been great if we had seen like that nick cage freak out that you're talking about at the carnival when the kid goes missing he kind of just like have you seen my kid have you like and then he runs home and the wife is like what do you what do you mean you lost him and there is there's and i felt like that those moments were like she immediately uh is is blaming him and he's just like he's like yeah okay it's my fault uh and he doesn't he doesn't tell anybody about the weird stuff that his that that the son said like the the kid looks at him and says dad can we pay the ghost or the fact that he was holding his son's hand yes when he disappeared like that doesn't get explained at all like he's holding his son's hand they they make a point to show that he's holding his son's hand and then he uses his other hand, not the one holding his son's hands, but the other hand to pay the guy for the ice cream cone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes to give it to his son. And now his son is gone. And he's like, like, when did he let go? Yeah, it, exactly. It, you would think that what they would have done to make him to show that he's let go is to have him fumble with the money or something like that so that the ghost would have the opportunity to take him. Yeah, because that was another question that I had, which is how are these kids taken and how are they chosen? Because it's three kids a year that we get mm-hmm. that backstory of. It's it's every Halloween, it's three children are taken. And right. the next year, their parents have some sort of contact with them, whether they realize it or not, uh, in their grieving or whatever. And after that, that's it. But like, how, how are the kids chosen? Because the three kids for this previous year were Charlie, um, a kid named Pablo, and May. I think who we meet her mother for one scene, which uh, admittedly was a cool scene, uh, atmosphere wise with the whole like mm-hmm. flare up in the Chinese restaurant. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How are those kids chosen? And then exactly how do they take them? Because he, you're right. I, I, when I was going back through and, you know, kind of capturing some audio and looking at a few more things, I realized, Oh yeah, no, he is holding his hand the whole time. He never lets go of it. And suddenly the kid's just gone. Um, so yeah, that, that's another thing that would be, I would like to have, you know, learned a little bit more about. And that's, that's the kind of thing where you can set up like this ghost, this woman who lit a, started a curse, like, okay, so was it just the curse that gave her her power or was there something else that did kind of thing? So I don't know. I mean, it's, it makes me want to know more about that kind of the mythology that they're building there. So I, I did like the, the birds kind of hanging around everywhere and, and like that, that was a little creepy. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Um, I liked that. Oh, here's something I was expecting never happened. Uh, at the beginning, mom gets, takes a look at like the, the kid looks at, uh, does an art class on his iPad or whatever. 
And then the mom looks at it. She's like, oh, that's really scary. I thought what was going to happen eventually, because Nick was seeing things, I thought that he was going to see that. He was going to make a comment or he would see the iPad or something. And he'd be like, well, what is that? I saw that thing. I saw that. How come... How come you have a picture of that thing that I saw? And they never do that. No, and that would have been great because I, I kept waiting for that when he was sitting watching the videotape from the carnival. When he's he's sitting oh, yeah. and watching back, I kept waiting for oh, like, okay, he's going to get so to the scary. Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. But but I was like, he, great, he's going to get to the point in the video why why he is watching it now a year later and and hasn't found this already. But I'm like, he's going to get to that point in the video where the kid because you see when he's taking the video he sees that same shape. So I was like, oh, he's going to get to that. And then you're right. They, that, that would have been a perfect opportunity for him to then see the iPad and be like, wait a minute, I just saw that on Charlie's video. Mm-hmm. I did like, however, the second time you see the iPad when she wakes up in the middle of the night and that picture's back on it, that it's slightly different, where it's got Charlie standing behind him. Right. That was a cool mm-hmm. touch. But yeah, It was, like, and they don't make a comment about it. They leave that to the audience to notice. I liked that. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate when a director trusts in an audience. Um, I felt like there was other parts he could have done that more. But yeah, it's just little things like that, the little little plot points that you can tug on and get more out of. Um, even uh, something like when he gets on the bus, he chases that bus for whatever, however long it is, gets on it, walks all the way to the back, and finds the empty seat because he saw um, Charlie in the window. That scene in itself was okay, but my 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 note on that was actually uh, something along the lines of, "Come on, that's not even the weirdest thing those people have seen on that bus that morning." <laughs> for them to all stare at him like that, like if you've ever been uh-huh. on a bus in New York City, that's definitely not the weirdest thing they would have seen. But right, but, everybody you know, just has their heads down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those were the most empty New York City streets too. I wonder where they yeah. shot this because there's not yeah, I, in terms of trivia. Like I looked at IMDb trivia. There are three things, and none of them are very interesting. So I, I just wonder, <laughs> like, it was announced in 2010 with a different director. Okay. Uh, or Sarah plays Dr. Sarah something or other in Prison Break. Uh, she's the love interest oh. of Michael Schofield. For mm-hmm. this film, she plays the wife of another character named Michael. Somebody thought that was worthy of putting as trivia. So... That's also where my wife and I uh, watched the first. Uh, we watched Prison Break back when that was out as well, and so that's another place that we knew uh, that lady from. Oh, okay. she was a big part of that show. I I remember watching the first season and they broke out of prison, and I thought, how are they going to continue this show? And I never watched it again. <laughs> it it wasn't that great. The first season was fantastic, and then it, it kind of fell off. But my wife and I were like, this was, you know, this was back when. There, you didn't have the wealth of everything because you didn't have right. Netflix. You watched TV when it was on, and that was the show that we watched because that's what was on at that time. So, yeah, well, um, you know, another thing about scary things in this that always creep me out is old Halloween costumes. Yes, that scares the hell out of me. If you ever look at pictures, like if if you're listening to this right now, okay, uh, go on the Googles. And type in old Halloween costumes and prepare to be freaked the hell out. And I loved that they had all of these kids dressed in their old Halloween costumes uh, for the the scene when um, 
when they all burst into fl- the three kids burst into flames in the in the street yep. for the scene when we're looking at the video camera and for the scene when uh Nick crosses over to go find Charlie uh you can see like a sea of kids dressed in old Halloween costumes and I hate it it's yes, so creepy that, that was the one that raised the goosebumps on me because it's just that mm-hmm. that sea of children and they're all in the old costumes kids are already like in in horror movies, kids are usually creepy, mm-hmm. and now you're looking at all of them, and they've all got the dead white eyes, and they're all like they're all black and white almost. Oh yeah, yeah. Which was a which was a neat effect because when he when when Charlie grabs his arm as he's moving along, and like they're all spectral, but then that arm grabs him, and it's Charlie, and then you see you actually see Charlie start to get color back as he's hugging his mm-hmm. dad. I thought that was really cool, but yeah, those kids were creepy. Um, mm-hmm. It was also creepy with the um, oh, what was it? I just had it in my head. But uh, let's see the the kids the the kids outside the window the three of them standing there and then they all just burst into flames. Mm-hmm. Um, the dream sequence early on, which is kind of our gap between the time frames, um, where he is he's sleeping on the couch and is still got his cowboy shirt on. And he gets up and goes upstairs. That whole thing was kind of a dream oh, sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he sees Charlie. Yeah. Yep. He sees Charlie. And, of course, it's Charlie being creepy horror movie kid and doing a – kid did a good job, I thought. I liked oh, yeah. him. Um, and telling him to look out the window. And the whole time he's looking out the window, I'm like, all right, when's the jump scare coming? And they did a good job of pacing that out to still get me with it. Because uh, it's right Because right, th- th- that's the moment where the face comes right up to the window. Yep. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hated that. Oh, so did I. <laughs> I hated but it was, and I loved it. Yeah, I hate because I, I hate that, jump I scares that like moment, that. But I think at that moment, my wife slapped the bed like three <laughs> times, like ah, because <laughs> it scared her real good. It was a great moment, but man, creeped me the hell out. Well, in and that one, that one, and the dog, I think, were decent uses of a jump scare because again, it's that jump scares work when you build and build and build, and then you use that to release. So the one in Jaws is a classic one I always like to use um, with the face in the boat. And the dog barking at him when he first goes into the underground spot and that one in the window are good because they're built up to. I think some of the other ones, like the one in the autopsy, I didn't feel I kept waiting for it to happen the first scene when he's actually starting the autopsy. And all you get is her mouth sort of open up and some ash come out. And so I was like, okay, cool. They're not going to go that trope route and have a jump scare here, which I expected. And we move on. And then when it comes back to it, they did that music like hit as he pulls the the blanket or the, the gown back. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, we didn't really need that there. But, you know, the, the reveal of that information is enough, um, even though, you know, this was like basically just a way to get the detective back into the movie because we had sort of forgotten about him after he uh, – after Nick Cage visits his office. Right. And he's sort of just not around anymore. So there's no real resolution at the end of the movie from his perspective that we get to see. We just get to see the kid come home. Um, Which again is something where maybe you have a few more minutes of the movie and maybe some more budget to shoot. You can kind of tie some of those things up too. But overall, um, the, the bit where he crosses the bridge I thought was that's where it got a little bit 
Like I get where they were going with that and they built to it. But that's where I want to know more about sort of the supernatural world before he crosses that. Because we didn't get a whole lot of it. It's basically he's told, oh, yeah, so you can cross this bridge and get your kid back. Like, how does that work? Right. Because <laughs> how did he get there yeah, in the I first place? That would have been a good thing for Hannah to uh, be able to explain more by researching documents or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they'd gotten her, if they'd utilized her character to be researching stuff earlier in the movie, instead mm-hmm. of waiting until one scene and then the next time we see her on screen is when she's getting tossed out a window by the uh, right by the ghost. Um, but that was where, as I was watching, I'm like, okay, so he's the blind ferryman, and I was trying to think. I know that's a Greek mythology thing to have the the ferryman to the land of the dead. And but is that a? Do you know if that's a Celtic thing too or not? Because I'm not I have familiar no idea. But I thought I it was a, a. I thought it was a nice way to use that character. I just again, I, I want more of that. That's the kind of stuff I like mm. to see. But I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't. Know, I I just think. I think this movie with some tweaks becomes something that you can rewatch more than once. I think as it is right now, I don't hate the time that I spent watching it. I'm not going to seek it out to see it again, but I've definitely seen much much worse in horror films. I do think it's unduly um, panned. Like it, it's a 23 Metascore, and I've right. seen, I've I, seen I a saw lot that. Worse. Yeah, I saw that after um, we had talked, and I, I was like, "Well, let's do Pay the Ghost" because I'd never heard of it. And then I was trying to find because my my wife and I were talking. I was like, "I can't remember which service this is streaming on," so I typed it in Google to find it. And it came up with the Metascore, and it said twenty nine. I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> we're, oh, yeah. we're in for a for not a treat tonight." Uh, but it actually turned out to be pretty fun. Yeah, in fact, Rotten Tomatoes has it as a, at a ten percent with an audience oh, score yeah, that's of twenty five percent. Not the meta tw- ten. <laughs> Which, and usually horror movies have a much higher audience score than critic score, mm-hmm. which I expect. But man, even even the audience score was only twenty five percent. It deserves better than that. But I think, I think where where that comes from a lot is just the whoa, a jump scare. You shush. Somebody's <laughs> bored. Um, <laughs> but I think I think where some of that comes from is the it doesn't have that one moment that you're gonna remember the movie for, right? Like it doesn't have that that Nick Cage moment where he freaks out, or it doesn't have that. Uh, that kind of sixth sense reveal, like the reveal is there, but it, it falls a little bit flat. So it sort of ends up mm-hmm. middle of the road, I, I think is the best thing I can say about it. So, yeah, um, I don't, I think you're, you're right in the fact that the, I feel like the, the reveal that you're looking for is kind of stretched and because it's stretched out, it's not as memorable as where if, if it were much more bam, there's that moment where you understand everything, then I think it would have uh, gotten better reception, if, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, there were, some, um, there were some cool ideas that didn't get a chance to get fleshed out, like the kids help at the end. All the spirits of the kids mm-hmm. come out of the basement. They uh, basically save Nick Cage from um, the ghost and allow the, the other three to, to escape. I thought that was really cool, but it's like, okay, so if they've had that ability this whole time, what's keeping them from doing that? What's keeping them from exactly. rising up? So that's the kind of stuff, like, you just, 
you end up wanting a little bit more. And that's where the budget thing came in, where I just think if they had more budget to be able to tweak the script a little bit more and maybe add 15 to 30 minutes onto it that you could, and maybe not even 30, but maybe 15 to 20 minutes would be enough just to give you a little bit more of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's definitely not as bad as the critics would say. Um, and it's it's streaming on Prime right now. So it's certainly worth right. uh, worth checking out. You know, if you have Amazon Prime, there's no reason not to, especially as we're coming up on Halloween season. Um, which that was another thing. I kind of thought there might be more uh, more Halloween brought into it with the whole because um, it basically takes place on Halloween two years in a row. Yeah, well, my wife picked up on that. I, I was not observant enough, I guess, but my wife picked up on that instantaneously. She's like, we're watching the very beginning of the movie where you're in Charlie's bedroom and uh, he's he's sleeping. And uh, we're watching and she goes, we get it. It's Halloween. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, he's she goes, I, I, I said, hey, keyword pause because we were watching it on on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes. Okay, so let's rewind that scene again, and you're going to see a pumpkin. Um, You're going to see decorations that are Halloween-themed in his room. You're going to see a costume, and the the movie, like the the camera panning around his room, took pains to show all of that stuff, but I was too oblivious to notice any of it. I was just sitting there like, okay, this is a kid's room. But then she said that, and I rewound it 30 seconds or so. When we watched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, wow. They were really (laughs) trying to make sure that you understood it was Halloween. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did also think it was funny when I was watching uh, the later scene where he's back in the house, and it's the the one year later. As he walks by, in in the front door, you can see hanging some uh, jack-o'-lantern like lights. And I was thinking to myself... There's no way their kid was abducted on Halloween. She would have burned everything to do with Halloween in that house between in was that it in preceding his year. No, it was on the front door of the house because it was mm, before he okay. walked up the stairs. It's barely noticeable in the background, but I just happened to catch a glimpse of it. And that was the only thing I could think of is there's no way that would still be that would be hanging in that house. So the only thing that I can think is that if it was the same thing from the previous year, yeah, that like. She just hasn't done anything to the house between there, but there's nothing that they do in the movie to explain that yeah. at all. So it, you're they right, do it try be. and they do try and lean into the fact that uh, Nick Cage is a, an English professor and he's talking about like Lovecraft and all of this uh, horror stuff mm-hmm. uh, in that that really I, I would say this is the worst scene in the entire movie is where he's teaching and like. He's like, happy Halloween, everybody. And the class all like claps for him or, and stuff. Uh, I just thought that that was really weird. Like, has the writer been to college? Because like, I don't think we ever once clapped at, uh, <laughs> at during class. I can't remember ever doing that. Even in the, <laughs> the literature classes where we would read stuff like, yeah, that and that was the sound I played at the top of the show was a little bit of that. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Which reminded me. Yeah. It, uh, it did feel a little odd. Uh, I will agree with that. But that was another one of those plot threads. They never really went down that. And like him being suspected by the cops was mentioned mm-hmm. once or twice. But 
I, was he actually suspected because they never really did anything with that and it was just sort of mentioned and then forgotten mm-hmm. so i don't know you know the the officer uh detective jordan um so barely in the movie but he had uh you know he had a couple of decent scenes i liked his reaction when when he goes when when uh mike i guess that's the character's name mike lawford but mike goes to his office and he says something to the effect of you know, you guys are just lazy. You don't want to do your job. And he takes super offense to that and pulls out, you know, six inch thick or, or bigger uh, stack of papers and tells him, you know, this is the file on your son. Like, I kind of liked that because it, it showed that the cops aren't bumbling idiots. Like, they're actually mm-hmm. trying to do their job and he's passionate about it. And then we forget about him for most of the movie. Yeah. my So here's my question, and maybe you remember better than I do. Um, does that detective actually help because like i know that he like the detective ends up doing a thing about pay the goat like he he looks for like mike says something to him about uh, about pay the ghost and so then he looks for it but does he give the information that he finds back to mike at any point i can't remember see i don't remember it i remember after him saying that to jordan jordan goes to the files like you're saying and he's looking information up and that's when he goes and talks to the woman at the restaurant about Mm -hmm. her daughter may and they have that moment which again i thought was a really cool moment where they're talking in the back and she says something about the ghost and as soon as she says ghost that big flare-up happens you know, it's a nice atmosphere, mm-hmm. but I don't remember him ever relaying any of that information onto Mike afterwards. Right. So it seems like they're showing everything that's happening with Mike. And they're also, they decided we need to also show that this 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 guy who his job is to find missing kids, uh, he's also tugging at these same threads, but he we never get a resolution for him, I don't no. feel. And if, 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 if he... Maybe we were misremembering, but if he turned around and did say, well, look, these are the other parents who also had kids that go missing on that night. Um, go ahead and go talk to them if you want. Like then the threads come together and it gets closed at the end. But I feel like I don't think that that happened, but I could be wrong. No. And in fact, what I remember is the only uh, other parent that uh, Mike goes to talk to. He found the information himself. He mentioned in his right, he was research. the heroin guy. Yeah, which is the trope of like you know the weird guy that gives you sort of information but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, in the creepy way, that's like that was basically trailer fodder, is what that scene was. To me, oh yeah, <laughs> like that's the scene you put in your teaser trailer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I mean the director of this Ule Udell or Edel. Um, the only thing of note I could find, he's done a bunch of. TV series. He directed an episode of Oz, Homicide, Life on the Street. Uh, he did The Mists of Avalon. I don't know if you remember that miniseries. Never heard uh, of it. It was a 2001 Hallmark miniseries. But um, this was pre-Hallmark Channel, so this was like when Hallmark was doing um, like uh, Merlin and stuff for NBC. Oh, okay. It was, it was along those lines. But the movie he did that is the only one I could remember was from 2000, and it was The Little Vampire with Jonathan Lipnicki. And I don't know if you remember that movie at all. I no. barely remember it. Just that Lipnicki, who had come off of uh, Jerry Maguire a couple years earlier, plays a little vampire. That's it. Like, that's the only other thing I could find of his that wasn't a TV series 
or a German film. So I don't know. I mean, he seems relatively competent. I think the film was shot well. I think it looks decent uh, for the very mm-hmm. muted kind of color pal- palette that they were going for. But <clears throat> I, I just, I want, at the end of the day, if, if Nick Cage is doing a movie like this, I want that Nick Cage moment. And the, the carnival was the perfect time for it. And this was right, so this was 2015. He had done a couple of movies the previous year. And it was after this where he started just churning stuff out, five or six movies a year after this. I mean, um, as when he started doing things like Arsenal and Army of One and Vengeance, a love story. Like, I've never heard of any of these, but he put them all out in the same year. So, (laughs) you know, uh, this was off the heels of Outcast, uh, which is another one that I want to see because I haven't yet. Um, But it just... Yeah, and maybe you're right. You mentioned earlier that maybe it was just, you know, the dad is kind of on autopilot. That's the way the character's supposed to be. And if that's that's true for three quarters of the movie, that makes sense. But give us a little more caginess at the beginning so that we, you know, something to remember the movie by. Because I'm not going to yeah, remember like much. Yeah, like when he's worried about not getting tenure, that would be a good a good point for him to maybe freak out a little bit. Like his, you know, uh, here here's what they could have done. They could have... Uh, a the carnival we already talked about that but another point could be b when he goes home that first night and he's like super late and his wife is irritated with him a little bit she's not super mad but she's a little irritated with Mm -hmm. him uh they could have kind of made their relationship look a little more strained but i felt like they were trying to go for uh they've got a really good relationship and when Charlie goes missing, it completely explodes. Like it just, yeah. they have a really good relationship and it just doesn't, it can't stand, it can't stand up to the loss of a, of a kid. Yeah, that's true because she never once believed there. There's even a line where she says something about like, are you, are you accusing my, my husband of being part of this or something? Like she never mm-hmm. believed that. So right. yeah, you, they definitely had the strong relationship and I liked that. Even though he was late coming home that first night, he still had a good relationship with Charlie. Um, mm-hmm. So that was nice. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, like I say, there's little things you could tweak here and there that would make the movie more memorable, but it's not, it's not as bad as a lot of people would say. Yeah. Uh, Kit would, London in the chat like is asking. It? Oh, go ahead. Well, Kit London's asking if there's a good popcorn type movie to watch. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think there are probably better. Uh, kind of popcorn horror movies to watch than this one. But again, it's streaming on Prime. So if you have Prime, there's no reason not to spend an hour and a half and watch it. I think what what you should do, Travis, and this is just my opinion, but you should do one of those um, Twitch watch parties. That wouldn't be a bad one to do, actually. I think that I think that Kit London could show up and enjoy and enjoy the movie uh, with you. There you go. That would work. <laughs> Um, you were about to ask a question, and I kind of. Well, cut I was off. gonna. So, at the end, you know, the sorry, Kit London, I'm gonna spoil it for you. Uh, but at the end of the movie, uh, the 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 three children, they choose a new um, a new mother. Yes, and I feel like, do you like they they're setting it up for a sequel, or they're just setting it up to say, hey, yeah, the big bad's dead. But you can still be haunted at night. Ooh, on Halloween. 
So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is if you were interpreting the, the vultures as the three children as well. Cause by the end of the movie, Absolutely. that's kind of the feeling that I got too. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think honestly that scene in the, they, it's called a mid credits, but it was really the beginning of the credit scene. Um, it was almost like they didn't think people would wait till halfway through the credits to see that. Uh, <laughs> like they just turn it off. Um, that felt more, more or less like, well, we can do this because we can. I don't think they were really trying to set anything up. I wouldn't mind it. I don't know how you could work in Hannah's character because we know nothing about her. But um, I don't know. I wouldn't well, mind. Well, her spirit, just like the spirit of the, of the original mom is in Hannah as like, a, you know what I think would be cool is, is have it not follow the same rules um basically the spirit has gone of this evil uh thing has gone into her and is now doing things in the real world instead of taking kids out of the real world oh now that i, I can get know. behind I, that might be interesting because now you get to again explore that mythology a little more and what made this uh woman from the 1600s start this curse and become this evil spirit like mm-hmm. oh, i like that it was a fun little little tack on moment at the end, but yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought it up that way because I had been figuring or or kind of leaning towards like okay, so the vultures are actually the original kids now, um, yeah, and sort of where they came. So I'm glad that you picked up on that too. I mean, uh, overall, well, uh, all credit to my wife. She's she, she goes, "There's three vultures. There's three kids," and I was like, "Oh, see, I'm just a dumb guy that sits next to a smart lady. That's really what happened." <laughs> Well, you know, it's it, it helps, right? And we all have our role to play. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, it's it's not bad. It's, it's in terms of a Nicolas Cage movie, this is way low on my list. Like there are so many other Nicolas Cage. We did Ghost Rider last week, and I said flat out that's not a good movie. But it has those Cage moments in it. Um, although even that one is fairly subdued for Nicolas Cage, but. Uh, you know, this one, it it falls kind of low on that just because he's there, but nothing about his performance is uniquely him like he does in so many other movies that, you know, you could replace Nick Cage in this movie with just about anyone, and it doesn't change the movie at all. And oftentimes, like, you can't do that with Face Off. You can't do that with maybe with Con Air. Um, just have anybody do a bad Southern accent, but... You know, it's it's one of those where it's like I could see a half dozen other actors play that role in the same way and it not be any better or any worse. Um, but, you know, saying that, he's the reason that we watch this. Right. Because if he wasn't in it, we never would have watched it. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's your It's a standard kind of run-of-the-mill horror movie with some decent atmosphere building. Um, I thought the, the beginning of it, especially that first, first bit up until the kid is taken had a lot of good kind of tension builds. Um, even the carnival itself, the way that they did that. And though, I mean, those situations are always creepy anyway with, you know, everybody in costume, big stilt walkers and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. and, and it, like people are packed in really, really close together. So that, that adds to the, the, like you're waiting for this to happen yeah. uh and then at the same time uh as they're walking around the um 
as they're walking around the carnival, the kid is seeing the that that stuff. You know, he's seeing the bird. Uh, he's seeing that thing in the alleyway, the the spirit of the woman or whatever. Uh, like he's seeing all of that stuff, and you're like, "Yep, this is the moment. It's going to be bad. It's it's about to get weird." Uh, and then he just disappears and vanishes. I, I I don't know. I enjoyed the movie, but I enjoy most movies. Yeah, <laughs> like I I mean, we agree on that. I I enjoy most movies too. It's pretty rare for me to just flat out say like. I don't like this and I'm not ever going to watch it again. Even something that I don't love. Typically I'll go back to and give it a second try. Um, and this overall, I mean, especially if you just want something atmospheric, you know what this kind of reminded me of, have you ever seen with Kevin Bacon stir of echoes? Yes, that was so, a, that was a really good movie. That was a really good one. Um, that's the th- one that's, let me just make sure I'm understanding or remembering, right? That's the one that heavily features um, uh, painted black, right, by the yes. stones? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that was sort of the the tonal feel I got when I was watching this, like a, like a lighter version of that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I almost think with, like, visuals that that movie, that uh, Stir of Echoes used could have worked really well in this. So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, overall, it's not a bad movie. Uh, maybe I will do a... a a uh, watch party with that sometime here and maybe coming up in October for, uh, for Halloween. Mix it up a little. Um, so Bill, I want to say thanks for coming on. This was a ton of fun. I'm, uh, you know, I've been, I'd been kicking around getting you or talking to you about coming on the show for a while. And I finally, finally decided it was time to, to ask. So I was really glad when you said you wanted to do it and, um, well, I, you're welcome back anytime. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It was really fun. I, and I, I, I'm glad because there's no way I would have watched this movie if you hadn't asked me to join you for Cage of Palooza, which <laughs> I love. I love the idea of this. <laughs> I like it, too. He's such a unique actor, right? There's so much, like, you can watch Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, and that's a dumpster fire of a movie, and he's all over the place in it. But then you can sit and watch something like uh, Bringing Out the Dead, which we did last year uh, in August. And that's a really good movie that has him in it, and he is very good in it. So you just get those extremes. Not everything he does is, uh, what was the one, Drive Angry, I think, or Bangkok Dangerous, or any of these other movies. I haven't heard of most of these. (laughs) But then he turns around and he does something like. Lord of War is another one he did really good, or him as uh, Spider-Man Noir in uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah, was that was great. Fantastic. So, yeah, I just, I really like uh, Nicolas Cage as an actor. He's just so interesting to me, so it's fun to it's fun to do this kind of stuff. Now, you have some shows that you do. Why don't you let people know where they can find your work? All right. So, uh, well, first off, the, I'll mention how uh, Travis and I got acquainted is we were both on uh, America's Next Top Podcaster. I was on season one. He was on uh, the following season. Um, so that that's probably where people who know Travis have heard of me from. But I have a couple of different shows. Um, you can find all of them at runjumpstomp.com. But the one that I think is probably my best show, the one that I uh, am the proudest of, is one called 143 Pixels. And you can find that wherever podcasts are downloaded. Basically, each episode, I bring a friend and that friend brings a game, and we talk about a game that they absolutely love. It's 
it, it doesn't it's, it spans uh, genres and um, systems and time periods. Uh, we've talked about games like World of Warcraft and Zelda, the original Zelda, and season four of 143 pixels is beginning i think on let me just look at my calendar and make sure that i get yeah it's beginning on september 1st and uh it's got a whole bunch of uh, uh really great people people like uh brian ibbett who i'm sure everybody knows um people like per schneider who's the founder of ign and uh andre seegers from game explain and jeff canada or there are all of these people are going to be in season four. And so uh, make sure that you check that out. 143pixels.com, uh, which you can find uh, the show over there. Excellent. Yeah, I love 143 pixels. That one's fun for me. Thank if you're you. a fan of games or nostalgia or anything like that, it's just a it's a fun trip to do those. And I love hearing stories of people. I really dug the uh, Mega Man 4 um, one that you did. Viking Guitar. Yeah, that was, that was really cool because that game for me was was one that uh, that meant a lot. So that was that was fun. It's a great show. And your other shows too, Switchcraft and uh, and uh, you're still doing Stadia Cast, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Every okay. Sunday was so we recorded that this morning. Oh, that uh, you know what? I think I did see the the notification for that. So, yep. yeah, um honestly, 143 pixels is worth a listen to anybody out there. Um Bill it has been a blast and we'll have to do this again. Next time we'll do a movie maybe that uh you have seen that I haven't seen. That works. So until next time, uh, next week is Lord of War. And that one's from 2007, 2005, uh, 2005 is Nicolas Cage. And uh, that's going to be week four. We're, we're getting towards the end of Cage of Palooza 2020. And uh, my guest next week is going to be Rishi B. He's going to come on. We're going to talk about uh, Lord of War. So, until next week, everybody get out there and enjoy your movies. And it's a weird time, so be excellent to each other. When you go out tonight, spare a thought for Lovecraft, for Stoker, for Poe, and for Goethe's Earl King, because they were all bound by one great and noble objective, to scare the living shit out of you. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>